Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Feit. Hier ist Stefan Biankowski. Stefan, how's it going? It's been another very long day. It's only Monday, but it's been a long Monday. How are you doing? Yeah, very, very well. Um, it's been another week that seems to be dominated by everything except the Bundesliga, it would seem, in our world. You know, we obviously mm. had the big news about Man City apparently well, being um, reported to breach over 100 financial rules uh, in the Premier mm. League, which, um, unless you happen to be a Manchester City supporting Bundesliga fan, uh, I think the vast majority of our listeners are probably smirking at that news today, which I don't blame them. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Jesse Marsh got sacked at Leeds United, which we had to do a lot of work on at work. So, yeah, it's yeah. been a it's been it's been a day, but it was also a really interesting uh, Bundesliga weekend. So I'm actually really looking mm-hmm. forward to getting stuck into it, to be honest, and some really interesting stuff to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think um, some of the 50 plus one fans will be rubbing their hands when they see what's going on with Man City. And I think if you're not a Man City supporter, I think the majority are going to be gleeful about it. Although I personally think nothing much will come of it. Uh, We did have some interesting 50 plus one uh, news as well about the Bundesliga, Stefan, before we go into the main show. But um, I did write about it for Forbes, the league looking to sell a percentage of its television rights to an external investor, mm. which I think is yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, so. absolutely. It's, it's maybe something to kind of dig into on an extra pod down the line, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting way to kind of, um, it looks like it might be a really interesting way to kind of, well, I want to say circumnavigate 50 plus one, but I guess the best way, the more um, political way to put it is that it's to abide by 50 plus one do you do you maybe want to give like a brief summary of what it means just for people who haven't followed the news and then we can maybe pick up on it down the line yeah that's yeah maybe do it um definitely do it um so the 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 news on this is and this is i mean it's not officially announced yet right um the league is looking into um selling First of all, creating a new company that is holding the um, national international television rights, um, and then an investor could buy fifteen to a uh, twelve to fifteen percent of those national and international um, television rights, which would generate between two point five and three billion euros. This was reported by Build, um, Kicker, Transfermarkt, all all the outlets, right? The DFL is going to have a meeting about it this week and then it's going to go to a vote with the 36 membership clubs and what this would do it would essentially you know help the league to generate a lot of money which then can be used in the, the league is looking predominantly to use this into for infrastructure investments because they found that freiburg would just build their own stadium right stefan and mm. frankfurt will have renovated their stadium 
they've actually managed to, from those two actions alone, generate around 20 million euros a year just by, you know, updating or buying, building a new stadium. Um, and so they're hoping that the other teams could do the same thing. So it's sort of to generate money, to generate more money, if that makes sense. Um, and I think this is really what the league is doing. It's also to close the gap, of course, to the Premier League in terms of income, because that would give them an extra income on top of television rights. And plus, also they're hoping by bringing in an external investor that they would actually be able to sell television rights for more money, which is also interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, there was there was talk of the, the investors being able to maybe bring their expertise of selling things as well. Yeah. Excuse me. Um, no, it's a really interesting one, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think I think there's a lot of it still to play out before we can really kind of dig into it properly. But it's 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 very interesting, especially on a on a on you know on a day like today where mm-hmm. nation states and their little projects across the water and in, in the UK uh, <laughs> are coming a little undone at the moment. It's interesting to see how the Bundesliga is trying to do things, perhaps a little more sensibly. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the Bundesliga right after this break. This episode of the Gig Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and much more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEF, that is BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, BELIEF, to receive your first reward. BetOnline AG where the game starts. So yeah, Stefan, um, I, I think that you're pointing this out. Um, you know, the Bundesliga do trying to do things differently. Maybe the one last thing that I want to add. Um, I know we got interrupted by the break. <laughs> we have to go on a break. <laughs> it's mandatory by our investors. <laughs> we go on this break within the first five minutes. So apologies here for interrupting. But, um, you know, this... Maybe my final point on this, and I want to talk about it in more greater detail because I think this warrants a show in itself once it becomes more, once we know more details about it, or maybe once the membership members have voted on this, right, is that this would be limited to for 20 to 30 years, any kind of investment by a foreign investor. So Mm -hmm. they they would pay for a 20 to 30 year um, deal, and then uh, the Bundesliga would buy it back for a symbolic price of one euro. Um, So... We'll see how how that materializes. I personally think um, if they pull this off, this could be a game changer for a league that needs money to come in. Um, even though this year, to be honest with you, Stefan, we're having a very, very interesting situation at the top of the league. Um, talking about this match day, and we have lots to talk about. Um, we have lots to talk about when it comes to Bayern Munich. We also have to talk about the coaching change. 
Um, but I want to talk about the teams that are right behind Bayern Munich and are keeping this table very, very interesting indeed. Um, Union Berlin get the job done against Mainz, keeping defying their XG, XGA or any other underlying stats and remaining in that top four race, second place, right, as the dust settled. And then there's Borussia Dortmund, who, and I thought this was really fascinating and we kind of spoke about this um, last week that Freiburg, as good of a season as they had against the very top teams, they seemed to really struggle. And this was as decisive as a result you could get uh, by Borussia Dortmund, them beating Freiburg 5-1. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. A, I actually thought it was a quite an odd game, to be honest with you, because mm. I think people are going to look at that result and think, wow, Dortmund really blew Freiburg away. Um and I'm not entirely sure that was actually the case, to be perfectly honest with you. I think Dortmund definitely were the more um, dominant side, and I thought Freiburg were actually quite... I thought they were actually quite disappointing throughout the match, to be honest. Mm. They were very defensive. At the very least, they were entirely pinned back. Um, but even like leading up to the red card, I didn't think it was a particularly uneven game. Um I thought the opening goal from Schlotterbeck was just one of those goals that you could hit a hundred times and only one of them would go in. It was incredibly tight goal. Um, And then, despite being a man down, Freiburg equalized just before half time through a truly calamitous goal, which I actually think, like, I don't want to be too mean, but it felt like um, a perfect kind of five second clip of everything that's wrong with Dortmund's defending this season you know you got if you mm. actually slow it down and watch it in slow motion you have Nicolas Sula um, pointing to the unmarked player directly in front of his back line which Emery Chan's supposed to be marking who's doing nothing really he's just kind of wandering between players doesn't know where he's supposed to be running Nicolas Sula then goes from berating Chan for not tracking his man to then Going to hit this, going to try and clear the, the 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 loose ball, ends up hitting it off. I think a teammate of his, which mm. then bounces in front, bounces in the way of the Freiburg player Holler, who scores the goal. It's a tremendous finish. Don't get me wrong, but it was just like this series of calamitous events, and I think it must have been at half time. You're just kind of thinking, yeah, do you know what Dortmund have kind of. They've looked great, they've looked sleek, they've looked sexy up front, but at the end of the day, it's still typical Dortmund in the sense that, um, mm-hmm. you know, we've conceded a really soft goal uh, and they've kind of struggled to kind of put this game to bed. But the second half obviously wore on and I thought they did a really good job of scoring two early goals. And I've actually got a newsletter out this week on the kind of differences we're already seeing in this Dortmund side because Sebastian Haller's now starting and... I thought one player who performed really well in this match was Adeyemi. Um, mm-hmm. Not just in the sense that he kind of drew out, um, you know, the Freiburg uh, defender before he got sent off, but I thought he was just really instrumental in so much of what was going right for Dortmund and um, Julian Brandt as well. So I go into more detail in a newsletter as to why they're both doing much better. But it was so it was it was a kind of a lot of good and a lot of bad. I guess it's just typical Dortmund. They are beginning to look much much better up front. They look very dangerous in attack. Uh, and I think yeah. that there's also something to be said for the fact that they now have a lot of depth in attacking positions up front uh, that they can bring off the bench. You know, the fact that they can bring on Bayern Gittins, Mukuku, Gio Reyna and Daniel Malin in the second half 
uh, is really quite impressive, actually. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it was it was a good win for them. Um, I'm not sure it was if it was as impressive as a five-one result suggests, but mm. um, hey, hey, they're still up there. They're still technically challenging, and they're proving people like me wrong for the time being. Yeah, I thought that, I actually thought that uh, Adeyemi, um People suggested to me on Twitter that it wasn't um, that the sending off was was harsh. Um, Zildilia fouled Adeyemi three times within ten minutes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but you know that that is in some a double booking. <laughs> you know, you you could say that like maybe one of those three fouls was soft, but if you can if you foul. Um, your opponent three times in a row in such a quick succession. What's the referee supposed to do, right? Mm. Um, and that's that's good on Adiyemi. He he drew he he spotted Sildilia, who I um, was one of the players I featured right a couple of weeks ago when we talked about young up and coming players. I think he is a very good young up and coming player, but he didn't handle Adiyemi very well, and so um, Adiyemi. I thought had a had a really good game. He scores as well, right? But um, I think that sent, getting getting um, Zildilia sent off is almost like an extra goal in this case because that paved the way for Dortmund to win this game. I think in many ways, and yeah, good for him. I think it was a really strong strong performance and maybe one that he needed. And I think Dortmund will be quite happy. And you know, Stefan, I was also thinking that you could just tell how a bunch of these players. Um, now that Sebastian Haller is is back um, and playing and scoring, uh, you know he scored his first Bundesliga goal on World Cancer Day. You can't make that stuff up. Um, I think you could just you can just tell what Dortmund tried to accomplish when they signed him last summer, right? Because he does make that entire front line click. All of a sudden, you have a focal point that all these other guys can play off on. And you see it, right? Um, Adeyemi is a better player. Um, that's just one example. Um, Brandt has been in tremendous form recently too. I just feel like all these pieces all of a sudden make a lot more sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at like the way Dortmund's kind of average positioning is and the way they're passing the ball about, mm. it, there's, there's just... There's just far more structure to it, and I mean that team that went out against Freiburg were almost basically playing like almost like a three-five-two at times, um, with you know two wing backs. Uh, I think I've kind of mentioned this on the uh, maybe on a previous pod about how mm-hmm. Marius Wolf just kind of looks like a completely different player now that he's got like a yeah. tall player to cross the ball to in the box, which seems like such a reductive argument, but it seems to me it, it, it's sometimes it is as simple as that of having a decent guy in the box you can pass the ball to because mm-hmm. before before they had Haller back, Wolf would look up and he's got Adeyemi, Brandt and maybe Daniel Malin farting about the semicircle in front or at the edge of the box and they, they, he hasn't got anyone in the box in the actual six yard box to pass to so it it definitely makes a big difference and you know it, it it's it's i think it says a lot about sebastian haller in the sense that not only is he scoring goals which is great but just his sheer presence uh seems to really seems to really change that team um and, you know, without intentionally using an old cliche, it's like having a new signing. He technically is a new signing, I guess, but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's, he's, 
it just seems to have really galvanized that side and although I thought in previous games they didn't play that well and still and still managed to win I thought in this game you know aside from maybe the first half I thought they actually looked like a very coherent team going forward at the very least yeah I mean that's good news and um yeah we've been striking distance of Bayern Munich who um, had a terrible start to the second half of the season. Um, we get to talk about uh, Bayern Munich quite a bit um, later on in the show. Um, as I said, Union Berlin win, um, Frankfurt win, um, Leipzig with a 0-0 draw, but they remain in striking distance. Um, one game that I thought was quite interesting um, and had consequences. And we should talk about this, um, Stefan, is the Bochum-Hoffenheim game. And Bochum smashed Hoffenheim 5-2. Um, and that spells the end of um, Breitenreiter's time at Hoffenheim. They sacked the head coach um, on the weekend. Um, they sacked him today. I think that it was pretty much decided on the weekend. Hoffenheim have been an odd one um, because this is a club that for so many years has been like an example of how a future football club in Germany could look like, right? Um, with an investor and then, of course, backed by a very data-driven front office um, with a very with a huge scouting, scouting network um, and very innovative approaches. Um, Yet they all they seem to be making quite a few mistakes um, in recent times. Uh, yeah, it's just think about like um, firing Sebastian Hoeneß, right? Then bringing back Andre Breitenreiter, and then we look at the the possible replacements that have been named. Um, and I I said this to you before the show: um, Ralf Hasenhüttl, Pellegrino Matarazzo, and Dominic Tedesco. Stefan, I look at those three candidates and I think to myself, those are three very different coaches. Like, what is the plan here? Are you just going to name a successor and hope that any of these, may I add, recycled coaches, um, because we've all seen them in the Bundesliga before. They're all, of course, German speaking, because, you know, we can't have that. We can't have a foreigner coaching any of the, the, this team. And yes, Hasnüttel is um, Austrian, I guess, but you know what I mean, right? Um Hmm. It's just, I look at all of this and I mean, I mentioned this last week with um, a, in one of the shows that we had last week that, you know, a large budget of the, the club is allegedly just tucked away for one of the agents that has a huge amount of influence there. Hoffenheim just, I mean, people will joke about this, that they never had one, but they really feel like without an identity at the moment. Yeah, they do. Um, I gotta be honest. Like, I thought I've 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 been kind of mythed by Hoffenheim for some time now. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, we actually we actually talked about this kind of at length on the preview show last week, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. because we talked about how Hoffenheim were very quickly stumbling down. In fact, it might even be the bonus show when we did the review of the Pokal games, and we talked about how Hoffenheim were looking really troubled and. We actually said, you know, they could very quickly find themselves in trouble in terms of st- tumbling down the league table. And I think mm-hmm. this game could not have been a bigger red flag for the club itself. Obviously, Bochum team who are basically at the bottom of the table, but slowly but surely kind of grinding out results. Um, 
for them to kind of turn this around and do this against Hoffenheim really shows where both clubs are at the moment. Um, but you could definitely kind of go all the way back to like July 2022 when uh, Brighton Writer was hired as yeah. you know Sebastian Hones's replacement and kind of wonder like what what what, what was the thinking behind that because mm. you know there was there, there was a kind of sense that you know again I, I, I apologies if I'm repeating myself here for listeners because I have kind of made this point a few days ago but it felt as though even though things had kind of maybe ended surly Bajones he had built something really impressive there and maybe yeah. it had kind of fallen apart halfway through the season you could tell that he was you know an impressive head coach uh, an impressive young head coach who knew what he was doing he knew what tactics he liked he came from a pretty decent background in terms of coming up through the Bayern Youth Academy. He'd been at RB Leipzig before that. You know, he was a very well-educated coach. He knew what he wanted to do with that team, but it kind of fell apart. And they were very quick to just say, "Right, I, I, he's off." Um, and then they bring in, um, you know, a, a head coach who hasn't really impressed for some time now, to be honest with you. So I, I know he did okay yeah. maybe at Zurich, um, but it 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 just. It it you know it's it's kind of like like we always say in the sense that it just kind of felt like they just kind of looked at a short list of German speaking head coaches and thought right we'll give it to him and see how he does with it. But I completely agree with you that Hoffenheim do look a little like they don't really know what they're doing, and there are some interest. Some of the names they've mentioned there are quite impressive, but although I did kind of go out to bat a few times for Tedesco when he was at Leipzig, you do kind of wonder if he would be a recipe for disaster at Hoffenheim in the sense that he does seem to have this issue with mm. having a very impressive start to spells and then for one reason or another, things do seem to fall apart quite quickly in the second season. Um, can maybe make the same point for Matarazzo in the sense that, well, a very different point actually, in the sense that, you mm. know, he obviously was at Stuttgart for some time, but he wasn't able to turn things around there. And so to, so to hire a head coach who struggled at a kind of dysfunctional club to then bring him to your dysfunctional club doesn't really make much sense. Um, Hasenhutl really excites me, to be honest with you. I think has I think yeah. whichever Bundesliga, I think whichever Bundesliga club can convince Hasenhutl to return will be onto a real winner. But you would mm. imagine he would have some reservations and he would demand some sort of assurances that he'd be able to build his own project there. Um, and even then, I'm, I really think he'd be better waiting to the end of the season to see what kind of top six or top seven team he could pick up in Germany. Um, but yeah, we'll just I guess we're just going to have to wait and see who they are capable of, of bringing in. You know, a Tedesco uh, would maybe be a smart move in the sense that he'd probably be able to get them firing very quickly and get them moving away from their relegation zone very quickly as well. Um, but it's 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 a weird one, and there's something obviously. It's some not everything's going right at that club. Obviously, it's, you know, Ruter departed as well in January, which maybe came as a bit of a surprise. But um, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're just gonna have to wait and see what happens. But things do not look good for Hoffenheim right now. Yeah, I may add that uh, it looks like Domenico Tedesco is no longer a candidate because he's about to sign a contract with Belgium to become the new national team head yeah, coach right. there. So that's him off the list. Uh, Pellegrino Matarazzo, of course, uh, with Stuttgart. I, I think tactically that would actually kind of, you know, that if you just group Matarazzo and um, 
Um, if you group Materazzo and um, Hasenhüttl, then that makes a little bit more sense. Hasenhüttl, if they get him, um, you know, Dietmar Hopp, the longtime investor, founder of SRP, uh, and owner, because like ha Hoffenheimer, one of the clubs that are not part of 50 plus one, right? Because Hopp has made um, investments for more than 20 years in a row. So, you know, one of those um, clubs that can circumnavigate 50 plus one. Um, if he gets Hasenhüttl on board, that suggests to me that they they would have to open, you know, um, the purse strings and, and really invest in this club, right? Um, because mm. Hasenhüttl um, is a big name uh, coach. He had a very successful time at Leipzig, so he knows how to work for project clubs. Uh, I think he was very successful in Southampton too, even though, of course, later on it got more difficult. Um, coaches, you know, have a shelf life. That's just how it is. But um, I think if they get Hasenhüttl, I think that indicates to me that uh, Hoffenheim might change a few things, um, not just at the coaching position, but like strategically overall. Yeah, and, you know, go may maybe more towards where they were with Nagelsmann. So I think this is a pretty big strategic decision for them, um, depending on who they sign and if they can really convince Hasenhüttl, because that's the, the other part, right, Stefan? They have to convince him. And if you have mm. to convince someone like Hasenhüttl and if he says yes, that would indicate to me that the club would make quite a lot of promises, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess the one thing that Hoffenheim maybe do have in their favor right now is that I was thinking about this this afternoon when I saw the links of Hasenhüttl and I thought, oh, surely not. You know, surely mm -hmm. there's a bigger club that can kind of swoop in for him. But actually, the way that the Bundesliga has kind of worked out this season is that kind of all the big clubs or the rich clubs, whatever you want to call them, uh, are now kind of functioning quite well. You know, if you kind of go from first to tenth, you've kind of got just about every club there performing as well as you would expect. And maybe if seven or eight of them could um, hire a guy like Hasenhüttl, they're not really going to sack the head coach anytime soon. You know, maybe a Gladbach, but even then, I'm not sure that's going to happen. Wolfsburg aren't going to sack the head coach. Freiburg, Frankfurt, Leverkusen, you know, Leipzig, none of that's going to, none of those positions are, I don't really foresee becoming available in the next six months. Yeah. So I guess once you've kind of pushed those all to one side, um, you know, maybe, maybe Hoffenheim are the next best option, unless, I don't know, maybe unless Schalke can avoid relegation and, offer him some money just on the fact that they you know they they do still kind of have an allure of being a big club but i'm not so mm. sure so yeah, yeah i guess we'll just have to wait and see if they if they can convince him or not definitely um definitely interesting um let's talk about the big topic and these are two topics but one club and let's do this the on-field stuff first before we get into the nitty-gritty of a certain national team captain giving an interview to two outlets at the same time identical word for word only in english and german but uh, i have so many thoughts on this that maybe we'll talk about that um after we talk about the actual result because bayern munich have actually won a football game stefan and um <laughs> This is why underlying stats can be so deceiving. Because if you look at the underlying stats of this game, you will you will think, how how did this happen? Um, this is why you should always watch a game and not just look at the statistics. By the way, somehow Wolfsburg with an xG of two point five four to zero point six six. This is the DFL xG, by the way, which is um, provided by AWS. Um, so you might see some different numbers somewhere else, but um, here we are, anyways. Somehow, 
of the 0.66 XG, Bayern Munich managed to score four goals. <laughs> and we were chatting during the game. I think the first two in part, yeah, three of two of the first three were were pretty ridiculous. I mean, that first one, um, mm. the Kingsley Command cross that turned into a goal. It's a nightmare for a goalkeeper, Stefan. I'm gonna say that because like you you have to anticipate that Müller might get to that ball right, and then it just curls perfectly home. But it's also just um, terrible defending overall. And Cancelo to Coman with, and I thought it was a beautiful goal, but Baku is probably still um, wandering around that penalty box looking for that ball because, like, the defending there too was atrocious. And then Müller with a fine header, I guess. But I think Wolfsburg really out. Like, the reason Wolfsburg did not get more out of this game is not because Bayern Munich were incredible; it's because Wolfsburg gifted them three goals. I think. That Wolfsburg performance is perhaps the most pathetic performance I've seen from a football team this season. Um, <laughs> that's how frustrated I was watching that game. I knew it was coming a mile off. I knew, I, you know, and, yeah. you know, anyone who listened to the previous show will, will say, yep, Stefan got that one right. I knew Bayern were going to absolutely spank Wolfsburg because this is just the way things work. Nico Kovac ran his mouth in midweek talking about Kopernik and... Yeah how wonderful Berlin is compared to Munich, blah, 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 blah. And you could already see Wolfsburg were getting, beginning to stumble in previous games. Bayern were beginning to kind of get their edge back. All of a sudden, Cancelo rocks up. He's the rock star, creates an amazing assist um, for Trupa Moting in midweek. And you're like, yep, you, you can see this one coming a mile off. And it's exactly what happened. Now, <laughs> the weird thing is that Despite scoring three goals in the first 20 minutes, Wolfsburg actually kicked off the game quite well. They really kind of blitzed that Bayern mm. team um, with some great chances. Um, and they could have scored five or six goals on the day. Um, but then equally, they gifted Bayern at least, what, three, I guess, of those goals. You know, the first yeah. one... Um, as you said, yeah, I know I know what you're saying, like it's a defensive, it's a goalkeeping mis- um, nightmare, but... Um, I just don't have any sympathy for the goalkeeper there, to be honest with you. It's such a silly goal to concede. The second one, uh, another assist from Cancelo, but like I said, Baku's in mm. no man's land. He, he actually looks behind him to find Coleman and he still loses them uh, in the lead up to that goal. Thomas Muller's header, fair enough, that's a great header. I'll, I'll give him that. Uh, but even the Musiala goal, I mean, you, you can certainly watch that and say, yep, it's poetry in motion. Uh, you know, this kid's going to be the next Lino Messi etc etc and it was an absolute joy to behold in real time but it's also one of those games where if you're Wolfsburg fan you're probably pulling your hair out thinking why hasn't anyone just brought this kid down (laughs) you know because he dances through about five or six players and the really annoying thing is that when you watch a replay you can see a three or four of them aren't even really trying that hard to stop him Um, so it was a really weird game I didn't actually think Bayern played particularly well um I completely agree with you that it was definitely a case of Wolfsburg throwing this game away rather than Bayern kind of wrestling it out of their control, mm. which I think was perhaps bestly, best illustrated through a red card to Joshua Kimmich. Um, completely yeah. unnecessary. You know, he gets booked for unsportsman conduct in the first half and then he gets booked 10 minutes into the second half because Max Arnold glides past them. Um, so... I don't know. I, I, it, 
I, I don't think Bayern are out of the woods just yet, but I, I do kind of feel like having, I mean, I kind of made this point on Twitter after the game that, you know, it's almost like Bayern are kind of sleepwalking to their title here in the sense that they've now played, you know, in Wolfsburg, Frankfurt and, and RB Leipzig, three of perhaps their biggest rivals domestically this season. I'm not saying Wolfsburg are, of course, title contenders, mm. but the firepower that they have in that team and the and the kind of form they were showing ahead of this game um, made them a real big um, barrier. And, 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 and Bayern have um, passed the test, you know? I mean, I know everyone's making a big deal about them drawing three games, but it also meant they didn't lose three games and they didn't they didn't let Leipzig beat them. They didn't let Frankfurt beat them. And they ended up comfortably beating Wolfsburg. And it's 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 those kind of it's that ability to kind of grind out results, which maybe in, in real time, week to week, don't look that impressive. But when you look back and then when the likes of Dortmund or the likes of Leipzig come up against these teams and they end up do losing or do drop even more points, mm. that's that's kind of what t- tends to add up. To make a t- to make a team win the title at the end of the year, so I do mm. kind of look back on the last two weeks and think Bayern have not been good by any means, but they have kind of managed to grind out results the way that champions do grind out results. So I'd be interested to look back maybe in May and wonder if this was the those were the these kind of round of fixtures were the ones that could have made could have really opened up the Bundesliga for a genuine title race. Yeah, my counter argument to this would be that that's six points lost. So, you know, um, that's the equivalent of losing two of three games. Uh, and that mm. the three draws, which is pretty bad. Um, and they did they did have a significant gap over the entire competition going into the break. Um, and that gap is now completely closed. And I think the what makes me think positive about this title race is that I mean, sooner or later, Bayern were going to win a game again. They're not going to lose or not win four in a row. Um, you know, that would have been very unlikely. But the other teams are picking up points um, as well, right? Um, this could have been a weekend where um, Union could have lost, Dortmund could have lost to Freiburg or drawn to Freiburg. Yes, Leipzig did stumble, um, sure. But, you know, they have been making up so many points since Rosa has taken over that this was going to happen sooner or later. And Köln did take off uh, two points of Bayern as well. So, you know, there's that. And I do think that a normal team um, that doesn't shoot itself consistently in the foot like Wolfsburg did over 90 minutes in this game will probably, you know, a normal team would have scored four goals against Bayern. Um, In fact, I mean, Wolfsburg did score three. They had one taken off, which I still don't quite understand why and how. But, mm. you know, um, Bayern scored four goals and we're lucky it wasn't a draw, is what I'm kind of taking away here. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's that argument. So if you have a team that is maybe <laughs> doesn't gift away goals, and I, I think the majority of Bundesliga teams won't be doing that. Um, I, I will be in Munich um, for the, for Saturday's game against Bochum. I anticipate that they're, they're going to sleepwalk to a victory there. But, you know, if they play like they did against Wolfsburg, Bochum have beaten Bayern in the past in the Bundesliga. So yeah. the, only th- the only thing I'd maybe add to this before we move on to the next topic is that mm. um, in the next four league games, Leipzig have Union Berlin, Wolfsburg, Frankfurt, and then Dortmund. 
and it'll mm. be interesting to see how they negotiate their way through an equally tricky run of fixtures, you know, because they're, they're now playing two of the three teams that Bayern managed to avoid defeat to, obviously they beat Wolfsburg, so, and then they've got Union yeah. and Dortmund on top of that, so it's definitely tougher, but these are the kind of runs of fixtures that kind of decide whether you're a genuine title contender or not. Um, mm. And and hey, if they go on and win those games, then yeah, you're right, Leipzig, there is a genuine title race here and they could end up pipping Bayern to the title, but we're just going to have to wait and see. But that's what makes it so interesting at the end of the day. I think Dortmund are probably now back in it too, um, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, and um, obviously Bayern still have Union Berlin in the next few weeks as well, uh, which would be a really hugely fascinating match to watch. But yes, um, I mean, I said there was more than one topic. Um, Stefan, <laughs> I have seen a lot of things um covering football and so have you i mean we've been doing this both for quite some time the one thing i have not seen um is a prominent german national team player uh, playing for bayern munich giving a critical interview to not one but two outlets at the very same time um that turned out to be identical when you read the Manuel Neuer interview in The Athletic and you read the Manuel Neuer interview in the Süddeutsche Zeitung, it's quote for quote the exact same thing. Um, I remember this is probably the most controversial interview since the one where Philipp Lahm gave, right? Um, this was under the, it was still when Louis van Gaal was in charge, I think. Um, you know, but also not sanctioned by the club. This was not a sanctioned interview by the club. I mean, it was probably sanctioned, but not by the club. You and I both know what that means. Um, where he spoke critical, um, he's, he, I mean, he, he touches on a bunch of subjects that are not quite as critical, but the firing of his longtime friend and head uh, goalkeeper coach, Tony Tapalovic, he called it a stab to the heart. Um, he criticized the club for... for doing this while he was on the ground struggling, right? Because he's broken his leg. Um, yeah, this is the exact quote. For me, that was a blow when I was already down on the ground. I felt like my heart was being ripped out. It was the most brutal thing I've experienced in my career and I've ex experienced a lot. Um, and in, in German, of course, it was in the Süddeutsche as well. First of all, <laughs> we both had a few conversations about this. I, I find the entire everything kind of like leading, I find the entire process interesting because like, why would this come out simultaneously in two outlets? It was like, they tried to maximize the reach there. Right. I mean, this, I find this hugely interesting. And then also the wording. I mean, we're talking about a goalkeeper coach here, Stefan. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it is actually really interesting. You bring it, you mentioned in that parable because like when it came out, I was talking to you about it and I kind of scanned through the interview and I thought, this is actually really boring <laughs> because <laughs> the, the, the the main talking points are what happened at the World Cup, which nobody cares mm -hmm. about anymore, especially if you're a Germany fan, and Manuel Neuer complaining about his, his, his goalkeeping coach. And my point to you was that nobody reading this is going to really care um, that Manuel Neuer is that bothered about his goalkeeping coach. However... That was never the intention of it. The intention of it was clearly to to drop a bomb in the middle of Sabinerstrasse and just yeah. to kind of watch and see what happens. And that's exactly what has happened because 
you know, before we recorded, I was reading a thread uh, on Twitter from the Dortmund president talking, not the Dortmund president, sorry, the Bayern president talking about um, why this is different from Cristiano Ronaldo's interview that he gave, you know, early in the year, which led to him getting sacked by Manchester United. And mm-hmm. the Bayern president was having to point, look, we're not going to sack Manuel Neuer. This is a little different. We're not Manchester United or Bayern Munich, blah blah blah, and that's kind of the, that's kind of the level of drama that we're at. And mm. you know, Julian Nagelsmann and Oliver Kahn have both came out and criticised and said it's not very useful, it's not very helpful to anyone at this point in the season for these things to come out. But that's not why he did it. And no. I think it maybe I think it maybe says a lot about where his head is right now, and perhaps where he thinks he's placed in the squad that he feels quite comfortable giving these interviews. And quite right, the journalists have obviously jumped in and t- taken the opportunity mm-hmm. to speak to him because, you know, um, it's, it was it, it did it did exactly what it was it was intended to do. And I think I yeah I just I just think it's really fascinating uh, in the sense that it's it says to me that Neuer's perhaps not one hundred percent convinced that he'll really be returning to Bayern Munich as a player anytime soon, um, yeah. because it seemed like he was a little less interested. He wasn't he wasn't entirely that worried about burning bridges, um, because that you you he, there's no there's no but I don't know. I'm trying to think the best way to put this. There's no um benefit to complaining about that sacking from the point of view of trying to win goodwill with the fans or anything mm-hmm. or it, it it it's quite literally just to you know start a feud in public or you know as you say washing your washing your uh, clothes in public or whatever it's mm. so yeah it was very interesting but i don't know what did, what did you make of it yeah i i, I... <sighs> I, I just thought it was really interesting because I think you sent me the athletic interview, right? Mm-hmm. And then I read it and I was like, okay, well, this is, there's a few things in there that obviously going to not go over very well. And then I do what I always do on Saturday morning. And uh, I've been a long time subscriber to the Süddeutsche Zeitung. Um, in fact, a, a very close family friend of ours, Ludger Schulze, who sadly passed away, uh, used to run the Sportredaktion, the, the sport editorial there for decades, uh, built the entire thing, right? So I've been a long time subscriber to the Süddeutsche. And as I opened it, the exact same interview popped up on my cell phone. And I was just like, okay, well, this is interesting. Um, you know, obviously, Phil Seedorf is the one, uh, Philipp Seedorf is the, is the, um, was the German journalist, I guess, that did the interview. And Raphael Honigstein, of course, the, the English interview, um, mm. I, I find it remarkable still that it's exactly the same thing word for word. I mean, there is no alterations whatsoever. Um, and that says quite a bit to me too. It means that it is, um, I'm going to say this the best way. Because like, if I was a journalist, I would have obviously jumped on this opportunity too. So I don't want to criticize the journalist for doing this. I think this is the most important part that I want to uh, say here. But it did read authorized if that makes sense. Um, mm. And it did read like something that was well put together and obviously well thought through. Um, and I think that Neuer and maybe the team around him, because he will not, he will have people around him helping him with this, right, Stefan? That's a sort of what I'm trying to say. They said and put this together with some thought. Um, I guess that's what I'm sort of trying to say. And 
Neuer doesn't strike me as someone who does something thoughtlessly. Um, you know, this has obviously been something. Like the timing is odd, as you said. Why would you talk about the World Cup now? That's that's two months ago. Um, but it's something that's obviously bothered him, and um, he was he needed time to to think about and talk about. And then I think too that you know, like Tony Tapalovic is a very close friend of his um, and, you know, their vacation together and all that sort of stuff. So he feels that maybe his position is being undermined at the club, mm. right? And he's mm. the captain. So he felt like he had to speak out. Um, I mean, these are all interesting inner workings. Um, what I thought was really interesting was how Oliver Kahn responded to this because Oliver Kahn was in a similar situation around the 2006 World Cup with with Jürgen Klinsmann being the national team coach, right? And Jürgen Klinsmann asked his longtime friend, Sepp Meyer, um, as his coach. And Oliver Kahn, of course, made the point saying that when he was in the same situation in 2004, he did not speak out publicly. And I thought it was interesting that Kahn, it was almost like Kahn kept that card in his back pocket for 18 years, waiting for to, for <laughs> to, to play it. <laughs> but I thought it was really interesting that he said that. Um, yeah. You know, this is like, I mean, because it, it almost like, it feels like they're positioning here. And Bayern Munich, and I think this is a really important part here that has to be kept in mind. Um, no matter what happens here, if Neuer comes back or not, his position in the hierarchy within the club will be lower than it was before the injury. Um, yeah. You know, because someone like Joshua Kimmich is obviously an important position at for Julian Nagelsmann. Julian Nagelsmann sees him as the future leader of, of the club and he's going to have more heavily rely on him. And I think this is something where Nagelsmann and Salihamidzic and Khan probably carries this said, well, this is a good opportunity for us to restructure the, the club hierarchy. And whether Neuer comes back or not over the next three or four years, he'll be no longer the captain of this team. So we might as well do this now. Um, and Neuer is trying to defend his position, right? And so I see this almost like a power struggle in a way. And I don't know, I've talked to people behind the scene about this. Uh, there's a lot that are convinced that Neuer will have a hard time coming back from his injury. And even if he does, he will not be the same player. And I think a lot of people at Bayern Munich know this as well. They will not ask him, they will give him the opportunity to come back, but I think it will be at a diminished role than it is now. That's sort of my kind of thought process behind everything. Yeah. I think the only other thing I'd add to that, which I think is very extensive, is that it kind of gave the impression to me as almost like a political uh, move in mm -hmm. the sense that it struck me as a bit like when a, maybe a disgruntled cabinet minister decides they want to bring down you know, the prime minister or the president or whatever. Yeah. So they go to the public with a very scathing interview. Um, and it almost intentionally, you know, puts the whole administration into disarray because it was mm -hmm. it, it 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 you know maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little dramatic there, but that's kind of the impression I get from it. So yeah, yeah. I, you know, I mean, we won't really see anything come from it because you know Neuer doesn't play <laughs> because he's not expected to play for some time. He may never play again. Um, yeah. So. We'll, we'll, I guess, but it'll be interesting to see how the, what kind of impact this has on him and his future at uh, Bayern uh, in terms of, you know, the club obviously have a history of um, promoting senior players to administrative roles. It'll be interesting to see if he gets that. 
ordained uh, to that kind of position or not, but mm -hmm. we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, we've seen it in the past, right? I mean, my absolute final point, and then we're going to wrap it up, is um, we had prominent players like Lothar Matthäus, who Oli Hoeneß said famously after a certain interview that he will not even be the greenkeeper at the club. Um, and that turned out to be true. And Philipp Lahm has, you know, who has had given a few critical interviews, um, is also not at a role at the club. So, you know, um, so we'll have to wait and see um, how this plays out. Um, maybe Manuel Neuer has some complete other plans in his mind. Um, I think it's, it's hugely interesting from a soap opera perspective. But because Neuer isn't part of the squad, I don't think it actually will impact the team itself very much. Um, it will probably solidify hierarchies that um, are already kind of being shifted in place because he isn't there even further, mm. right? So, mm. yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. I think for from a journalist perspective too, I thought it was interesting how it was put together too. But that is the knitting gritty that's just affecting people like you and me uh, in our work and isn't really that interesting for people and uh, listen to the show which is why we should wrap this up uh, because you would probably want to go to bed too uh, I have to travel go to Germany <laughs> so there's a long day ahead of me for me as well um, as always this show, show is brought to you by Bet Online. we'll be back um, with more content uh, later this week as always we have the German Cup this week as well so we're going to wrap that we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about that and um, have the extra show and uh, the, the preview show and then I'll be at the Bayern game and yeah, stay tuned. Uh, Stefan, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? No, not at all. That was good. Perfect. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.